So tonight we're going to wrap up this thought we've been on for a few weeks and then we'll press on to new ground. We've been talking in the last few weeks about building your own faith. God wants you to have your own faith. Thank God for the laying on of hands. Thank God for the anointing of oil. Thank God for the prayer of agreement. Thank God for all of it. But it's a good thing to develop your own faith and to come to a place where actually you have faith in your faith. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you what things shall you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Now tell your neighbor, that's for whosoever. Tell the neighbor on the other side, that's for whosoever. Which means that, uh, that we can walk at a level maybe we have not been walking at. There's a place in God maybe we have not come to yet. And I don't know about you, but I want to get there. The problem is this building faith can only be done one way, and that is by taking action on the Word of God. Every time you take action on the Word of God, your faith gets stronger. And we've been saying in these days that the power of God is in the Word of God. And it's only as we take action on the Word of God that we can build our faith. I left off last Wednesday rehearsing the story for the thousandth time about how that we were doers of the Word of God. When I got married, I, at least I had the sense to realize I didn't know how to be a husband. <clears throat> so I went to the Word of God. I went to the Bible. And then we read James Dobson books, and this, these names are blind to you, but Tim and Beverly LaHaye were real big in especially Southern Baptist circles on marriage and family, and we went to a couple of seminars they did. And then when, so, so I was a doer of the word there imperfectly. Uh, then when Austin came along, I, I had the sense to realize I didn't know anything about being a father. So I went to the Word of God, started all over again, read different books by James Dobson. And uh, so we were doers of the Word of God. I mean, I was faithful to Sue. We'd been tithing the whole way through. So we had been doers of the Word of God, but we had not been doers of all the Word of God. And that's where it'll get you. You know, I'm such a fanatic on being a doer of the Word of God. I read it in my annual Bible reading uh, few weeks ago in Proverbs. No, it's in Ecclesiastes, I believe it is. The Word of God says to get, to get your fields ready, get your crops in your fields, and then build your house. And I'm such a fanatic on being a doer of the Word of God. This building was built and complete, and we had moved in before we even thought about starting on building our house. If I find it in the Word of God, I take action on it. And God, God is... Uh, He's proven that to be a good strategy. But we left off talking about 1989 because we, we had three pages single, this church had three pages single space of accounts payable. We weren't making it. We started construction August of 1987. Stock market crashed October of 87. We had a big recession and different recessions are different. Different recessions affect different parts of the country different. Uh, that one in Texas was a pretty nasty one. And uh, we weren't making it. We, I mean, we moved into that building uh, past the top. 
You know, the stock market crash was October of 87. We moved in that building the third Sunday of March 1988. We were past the top. When we moved in here, we had a year and a half honeymoon before we got to the top. And then it was like, oh, here we go again. And uh, so one day in prayer, I told the Lord, I was tired of not ever having any money. Now, he didn't say drink anointing oil. He didn't say get a prayer chain going. He didn't, there was no go, go fund me back then. He wouldn't have said anything about that. He didn't say uh, do a Daniel fast, organize a day. He didn't say any of that Pentecostal uh, hoopla. He said, son, you don't ever have any money because you never save any money. And he said, to, to spend more than you take in is a sin. And he said, this is 1987. He said, that makes your, your government the biggest sinner of them all. I just read this week now that federal debt's past $31 trillion. You do understand, right? It's mathematically impossible to ever pay that back. And uh, so I took action. And he said, son, save, save something every seven days, even if it's only $5. Now, when I stand here and tell these stories, I think some of you think, you know, I don't have anything new to say. But I'm trying to get you to take action on the revelation you have. Until you take action on the revelation you have, you don't need any new revelation. And so we started out. And some weeks it was only $5. So I sat in my office up there yesterday. And uh, I looked at the math. And we've come a little ways from $5 a week. With everything we got going on. We're not quite setting aside 5,000 times $5 every seven days. Now, somebody might say, man, that, man, that's great. Well, that needs to double to build what we're drawing. See, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't take action, though, at the $5 level, well, how are you going to get to the $100 level? How are you going to get to the $1,000 level? And this is the, you know, when I was in, uh, I don't remember if it was elementary school or junior high school, but we had a mouse in uh, one of the rooms. And they put the, the feeder there and the, the mouse just was on that treadmill. And that's what, that's what a lot of believers are doing. Let's, let's fast. Let's anoint with oil. Let's do a prayer chain. It's January. Let's do a Daniel fast. And it is a treadmill. And you know where the mouse got? Talk to me. Where did the mouse get? Nowhere. Nowhere. Amen. And uh, Deuteronomy 30, 14, let's go there. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it, that you may do it, that you may do it, that you may do it. Not think about it, that you may do it. The New Internet, that's King James New, New International Version says, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So you may obey it. So you may obey it. So you may obey it. Uh, in my annual Bible reading, I'm in Jeremiah. And I don't think there's a book of the Bible that has more to say about America in 2022 than the book of Jeremiah. It's horrifying. 
And it's interesting because both in the book of Nehemiah and in the book of Jeremiah, the Nehemiah says, and then God says through Jeremiah, you're just making this stuff up out of your head. In other words, these prophets, these false prophets. And one of the things in Jeremiah's day that they were prophesying is that, that Nebuchadnezzar would not invade, that, that Jerusalem would never be conquered, that uh, the city would not fall. And, uh, you know, they were saying peace, peace when there was no peace. And of course, none of it came to pass. Just making stuff up out of their head. They call it the prophecy camp now. And, and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Really, I'm embarrassed. Because when people get off the word, you understand it doesn't matter what they go to, they're off. And this whole thing of uh, prophecies, not stop. They don't come to pass. You know, if, if somebody said something came to pass, like I stood up here, Holy Week Revival 2020, and made some unbelievably bold pronouncements. It came to pass. In fact, I forgot what service it was, but I, in one of those services in 2020, I said, if this church isn't paid off by the end of the year, you can take me out in the parking lot and set me on fire. That's crazy. I said, that's crazy. Well, pastor, you knew we wouldn't do it. It's still crazy because once, <laughs> once it's on the tape, it can be looked at. And it came to pass. And it came to pass. But prophecies should be occasional. Prophecies should be rare. See, if you're not a doer of the written word of God, why do you need a fresh revelation? If you're not a, a doer of the written word of God, why do you need a prophecy? We gave you Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not, the word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth. That's exactly though what's happened with these preachers. The word of God's not in their mouth in the pulpits. This, this word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. They're, they're obviously not meditating on the Bible. They're obviously meditating on something else. Day and night, <clears throat> so that thou mayest observe to do, so that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein in the Bible. Not, not what you like, all of it. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he says that thou mayest observe to do all according to that which is written therein. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That thou mayest observe to do, observe to do, be careful to do, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. For then thou, nothing in there about, all these shenanigans. And, you know, the, what I shouldn't even repeat criticisms. But, you know, some, some people think, say, oh, Pastor Gene's not very spiritual. Look, I may not be spiritual to some people, but I have no unmet needs. I have no unpaid bills. I have all of my original body parts. I have no pain in my body. And we got money stacked up like cordwood. So if that's the result of being unspiritual, I'll take it all day long. See, they... 
One of the Niebuhr brothers wrote a book. It really influenced me in seminary, Christ and Culture. And the basic thesis of the book was this. Should the culture be influencing the church or should the church be influencing the culture? And what we see going on is the opposite of what should have happened. Instead of the church influencing the culture, the culture's influencing the church. So in the world, they call it virtue signaling. And so somebody could be a crackhead, somebody could be a woman molester, somebody could be a child abuser, but as long as they virtue signal, as long as they have all the correct opinions, they are deemed by this culture out here to be a good person. And that's in the church. In other words, we're not talking about fruit. You know, if pastors appear to be empathetic, if, if, if pastors appear to be, you know, uh, I don't know. Well, then, then they're a good pastor. Well, really, listen. If you can't find five people that have been healed of cancer in the church you're attending, you ought to get the heck out of there. Where's the power with God? See, in other words, you know, I saw somebody showed me a picture a week ago of this famous preacher, you know, had glasses like Elvis and crazy hair and all this stuff. That won't heal the sick. That won't pay your house off. See, how do you pick a church? The church you would go to if you had a child extremely ill is where you ought to be 52 weeks a year. See, in other words, you just, you say to yourself, okay, if I had a child that was not sick nigh unto death, where would I take that child? That's where you ought to go 52 weeks. Not where the guy's virtue signaling. Not where somebody's dressing and acting outrageous. See, because you have to make your own way successful and prosperous. <laughs> I had a guy work for me one of the two times I was summoned to Tulsa, Oklahoma by Oral Roberts. It was this, I think it was the second time it was a larger gathering. First time it was a very exclusive group, 15, 20 of us up on the top floor of the City of Faith. I think it was the second time there might have been 100 of us. And so this guy that worked for me, I took him with me. And so, you know, I mean, I'm ready to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And because it's over and he's talking to this guy and talking to that guy, talking to somebody else. And so he gets done talking. And I said, you don't get it, do you? He said, get what? I said, ain't nobody here going to help you. See, that's why you got to build your own faith. See, it's a, it's a rabbit chase that I'm going to, I'm going to, somebody's going to help me. Ain't nobody going to help you. You got to, you got to help yourself. You got to make your own way prosperous and successful. Now, when I say ain't nobody going to help you, I'm talking about on this planet. Because God will help you. See, if you make your ways pleasing to the Lord, God will help you. Can you see that? And while everybody's running around looking for some human flesh and blood savior to save America, nobody's praying. 
and the Bible's not in the pulpits of America. How exactly, how exactly can you make America great again if the Bible's not in the pulpits of America? How exactly can you make America great again when from the top down it's just a sin city? And I'm not just talking about this guy, I'm talking about the last guy. You can't make America great again if America's immoral. Can you see that? See, well, but pastor, you're coming to moral conclusions based on the word of God. Well, I'm just imitating my daddy. And there'll come a point. We're going to stand there at one of the two judgments. And guess what? He's going to go by when he judges us. This right here. He's not going to go by the woke whatever. He's going to go by the word of God. Now, here are the most important words you may have ever heard. The power of God is in the word of God, and it's only as we take action on the word of God that we build our faith. And this is what I've learned is as I take action on the word of God, he blesses the work of my hands. <laughs> I won't tell you what that guy's doing now because it's embarrassing, but one of the, one of the most well-known, famous TV, Christian TV producers in America sat in my office a few years back, and I asked him, I said, can you name another, ministry, another full gospel ministry in America with this attendance that has anywhere near these assets? And he said, not even close. See, we didn't do this with great big crowds. I mean, I, I'd like a bigger crowd, but the way I teach and preach the Word of God is kind of self-filtering. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? Read your Bible. I'm in Jeremiah right now. You think Jeremiah had big crowds? No. It'd be hard to have a big crowd because I'm, I'm reading that right now. They, they put him under guard in a courtyard. Then they put him in prison. Then they bring him out and put him on guard in the courtyard. Then they put him in the cistern. He sinks in the mud. Then they bring him out of that and they put him on guard in the courtyard. Then they take him forcibly to uh, Egypt. It'd be kind of hard to have a big crowd with all that going on. It's about the word. It's all about the word. And, and, and our... The church in America has let go of this. For, let's go to, and this ties into what we, with what we've been dealing with on Sundays, 1 John 2, 3 to 5. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. I mean, I'm in Jeremiah in my annual Bible reading, and I mean over and over and over. It's nearly on every page. You wouldn't obey, you wouldn't obey, you wouldn't obey, you wouldn't obey. And that's why all this devastation has come upon you. You wouldn't obey. Listen, they were so rebellious now, this is not in Jeremiah. This is in 2 Chronicles, but it's referenced in Jeremiah. They were so rebellious. I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's army is literally down the road. And God says, if you will only honor the law on freeing slaves, because the law was they could only be a slave so long and then whatever the terms were, no matter what was going on, every 50th year, everybody had to be set free. 
And somebody, you know, in these liberal seminaries, they see, we'll see, you know, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible deals with reality. The reality was in all these 6,000 years of human history, men have enslaved one another. And so God simply gave regulations so that in the course of what was going on anyway, there would not be egregious abuses. Does that make sense? So Nebuchadnezzar is coming with his army and the prophet said, if you will just do this one thing, just turn the slaves loose. And so they said, okay. And they, they released all the slaves. And a day or two later, they said, no, we don't want to do that. And they gathered them all back up and enslaved them again. It's amazing. And within, within weeks, then Jerusalem fell. And they were taken into captivity in Babylon. Now, we can't relate to it in 2022. But, you know, all these great things. You go to Europe, you look at all this stuff, you think, wow. Well, it was all built with slave labor you know, the Colosseum and things like that. So in those days, what would a slave represent? Talk to me, what would a slave represent? Money. See, at the end, they wouldn't obey God on money. Let alone, how about mercy? How about compassion? How about all these other things? People get committed. People get committed. And let me tell you what, you need to be mindful that the world has changed and, you know, Sue and I were talking today about the doctor that had a practice next to McDonald's across from my dad's Ford dealership. He was a wonderful man. But, but those days are gone. These people are just interested in making their yacht payment. Uh, we have an RN and she quit where she was working partially because she was expecting, but also she couldn't take it anymore because the new doctor in her department diagnosed every woman that came in the hospital as preeclampsia. Every one, every single one. This is, this is statistically impossible. Are you hearing me? We faced this with one of our grandchildren, a diagnosis. See, there would have been who knows how much money and then created all kinds of ongoing issues. So you can't trust professionals. And I, I wish to God you all would stop picking lawyers based upon uh, some Christian's recommendation. That's how you really get messed up. Attorneys should be chosen for their street cred. And if you need an attorney, you need the toughest blankety blank attorney in the office. We have a friend whose grandson went to prison because he used a CPA as an attorney. Amazing. I don't know why. Was it a Christian thing or was somebody trying to save money? I don't know why. But if you need an attorney, I'm not talking about to do a real estate transaction. I mean, I'm saying if you need an attorney, you don't ask uh, somebody making $35,000 a year, uh, you know, 
Has the Holy Ghost given you a name for an attorney? You get a bad hombre. Amen? Am I helping anybody? And when you go to a doctor or an attorney and you catch them lying to you, don't be impolite. Just move on. The last thing you want is a doctor working on you angry. A.W. <laughs> Tozer said, if we try to obey without faith, we get nowhere. If we try to have faith without obedience, it ends in nothing. I love that quote. I do, because it takes both. If we try to obey without faith, we get nowhere. If we try to have faith without obedience, it ends in nothing. A.W. Tozer also said, we've substituted praying for obeying. You know, I keep coming across references in the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, on how the Lord does not desire sacrifice. This is a lesson from the life of Samuel and the fall of Saul. Does the Lord desire sacrifice or obedience? He wants obedience. And people have trouble with the word obedience, but we obey all kinds of things all the time. Going home tonight, you'll probably, I, even if you don't obey the speed limit laws, you'll, you'll obey the seatbelt laws. We obey all kinds of things all the time. So I don't know why people have a problem obeying God. And listen, a lot of these laws they're passing are not for your own good. But with God, every law of God is for our good. Can you see that? Kenneth Hagin, the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003, used to say God's people are forever trying to get by the laying on of hands or by fasting or by anointing with oil, that which will only come to them by obedience to the word of God. Now, the reason faith seems so difficult is that sense knowledge has gained the ascendancy in both the educational and religious spheres. This sense knowledge has all come through our physical contact with the world. You ought to get, if you don't have it, E.W. Kenyon's book, Two Kinds of Knowledge. I believe we have it in the cafe, but they have it, I'm sure, on Amazon. Two Kinds of Knowledge, Sense Knowledge, and Revelation Knowledge. Sense Knowledge is everything we have accumulated and can remember from what we have learned through these five senses, what we could see, taste, touch, hear, or smell. And the accumulation of what we have come in contact with, with our senses, becomes our sense knowledge. We have learned to trust so utterly in our eyes, our ears, the sense of touch or of smell, and the sense of taste that spiritual things seem hard to understand. It's easy to believe in the things you see. The crowd said about Jesus, we see the miracles and now we believe in you. And Thomas fell down at his feet when he saw the wounded side and the holes in his hands and his feet. And Thomas said, Lord, I believe. And Jesus replied, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. See, the seeing had to do with sense knowledge. The seeing had to do with sensory perception. The master touched the heart of things there. Faith is independent of sense knowledge. Say it out loud. Faith, Faith is, independent is independent of sense knowledge. Of sense knowledge. 
So we follow the written word of God, then we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And as I get older, I find myself doing more things that don't make any sense. You know, we sent a, a gift to a minister that, you know, we had a couple of challenges with, but it was because the Lord told us to. I'm going to obey God. At the end of the day, I'm going to do what God says do. And then it was only a couple of years later I realized why he had me do that because I'm believing God for Faith Christian Center to have a hundredfold on that money. So I'm calling that guy's name every day. Every, every day, every 24 hours, I'm taking that guy's name to the Lord in prayer. So he does things for reasons maybe we don't understand. But as we are doers of, first of all, the written word of God and then doers of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well, like I gave the example, he said, save something every seven days, even if it's only $5. Well, fast forward, what is that? 89, uh, 33 years. Well, now we're saving almost 5,000 times $5. Every seven days. Every seven days. So, it's when we take action on the word of God that we build our faith. When it's when, and listen, by the way, when, it, when, when he said that to me, what evidence in the sense realm would I have had that what he was telling me was true? Could I see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, or hear it? Even the hearing was not with my physical ears. It was with my spirit man. And so some of you are looking at me a little quizzical. When, you, when, you, when a voice inside of you speaks to you, you take what that voice says to the written word of God. Does, that, does what you just heard line up with the written word of God? So when I heard that in 1989, son, you never have any money because you never save any money. Because of the annual Bible reading, I knew that saving money was all through the book of Proverbs. See, I didn't have to double check it, I knew. But sometimes the Lord may say something to you and you, you got to, you know, look it up. Does that line up with the written word of God? I mean, if you wake up tomorrow morning and a voice says, it's okay for you to divorce your wife and get another one, uh, that's not the Holy Spirit of God because that doesn't line up with the word of God. You see where I'm coming from? So the priority is the written word of God, the Bible. But when this spirit of God, now when I was a young man, I'm going to go down on the path I don't want to go down. When I was a young man, I couldn't tell the difference. Is this my spirit man or is this the Holy Spirit? As I've gotten older, I can almost always know which it is. A lot of times, ideas come to me. And, uh, you know, is it, is it the Holy Spirit or is it my spirit man? See, your own spirit man has access to sense knowledge. But your spirit man recreated but made strong in the Lord by taking action on the word of God has insight your natural mind does not have. So it could be, it could be the Holy Spirit of God. It could be your own spirit man speaking to you, giving you an idea, telling you to do something. See, your own spirit man could can, can speak to you to ask somebody's forgiveness simply based on the written word of God. That's the thing to do. But it could be the Holy Spirit 
speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit does not speak to your big toe. The Holy Spirit does not speak to your ears. The Holy Spirit does not speak to the muscle in the center of your chest that pumps blood. The Holy Spirit does not speak to the organ of your body called a brain. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to your spirit man. And that's why the unsaved man neither knows nor can understand what we're talking about tonight. Now, the Lord's giving me a little side journey right there. The unsaved man does have the vestiges of the spirit man within him, even though it is dead or dormant, and it is called conscience. But anybody in law enforcement knows there are people out here and they have seared their conscience as with a hot iron and they don't have a conscience anymore. And they can do heinous things and not feel any sorrow or regret. But in a, in a person, let's say, raised in a home with, with a, a, a good mother, good father, they ought to have a conscience. That doesn't mean they're saved. It is the vestige of Adam in them, unsaved, unregenerate. It is the dormant or dead human spirit. We call it a conscience. But when you're born again, God, make, God by his spirit comes into you and makes your spirit man alive. See, when God said to Adam and Eve, he was standing right there. Eve gets the blame, but Adam was standing right there. When God said to them, in the day that thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, then they, they disobeyed God. They ate and they didn't die physically. So did God lie or was it some other part of them that died? It was the spirit man inside them died. And by the way, how, how, did, how did Satan get into this earth? Because the earth was given to man. I just read that a few weeks ago in Psalms that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to man. Well, how did, Satan, how did Satan take the earth from man? Because you get to the New Testament, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. So how did Satan do that? Talk to me, how did he do that? How did Satan, I mean, think about it. And, and you know, everybody here, I, I can't relate to a beautiful man. There, there may be by somebody's standards, but I mean, I'm a guy, so I can relate to a beautiful woman. But no matter how beautiful a man or no matter how beautiful a woman you have ever seen in your entire lives, they surely could not be compared to Adam and Eve. They must have been something. And they're in the Garden of Eden. They're in paradise. And they managed to get themselves thrown out. How did Satan accomplish that? Talk to me. How did Satan accomplish that? He lied to them. See, lying is his gift. You know, this bozo stands over there today in Florida and says, you know, let there be no further debate on uh, climate change. We see because of the hurricane. There, there have been just as many hurricanes the, the last 20 years as there were the 20 years before that. Where does lying come from? Talk to me, where does lying come from? See, if you're a liar, you're a liar because your father's a liar. And you can tell who somebody's father is by whether they tell the truth or whether they lie. 
because Satan is the father of all lies. Somebody lie to you? I'm not saying you come home with a new haircut and your husband says, yeah, that looks great. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean somebody just bald-faced lie to you. Well, they're telling you who their father is. Right? So you need to pay attention. Okay. But he lied. That was, that was his method. That's his gift. Tell your neighbor, that's Satan's gift. That's Satan's gift. Yeah. But that's not what got him out of the garden. What got them out of the garden? Pardon? No, you can doubt in your head, but you haven't crossed the line. What, what, what got them out of that garden? They disobeyed. See, when they disobeyed, they opened the door, they handed over the authority of their lives, and even more gruesome, they handed over the authority of what God had given them to Satan. And they got cast out. Ninth message of Days of Heaven Upon the Earth, Kenneth Hagin, Winter Bible Seminar, 1993. He says, now I'm going to make a hard statement. And if you have a problem with it, he said, that's your problem, not mine. But he said, all of our troubles we have brought upon ourselves. See, we, 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 we want to think it, it's Satan, it's the government, it's whatever. No, we bring, we, because we open doors. And every time we're not a doer of the word of God, or worse, every time we violate the word of God, we open a door. And let me tell you about this one. You open the door, he's coming in. He'll come into your home. He'll come into your body. He'll come into your mind. He'll come into your children. He's coming. So the most effective way we've ever found to keep him out and at bay is to be a doer of the word of God. Just, was that Sunday or a week ago Sunday? The Lord spoke to me about Psalm 1. Psalm 1. It's monstrous. Okay, so let's just use that as an example. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. He's what? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So if you're the kind of gal that goes to happy hour and talks to three divorcees about how to handle your husband, well, you're not going to be blessed because you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. Hang out with sinners. I mean, that would, that, that, listen, that would seriously curtail fellowship. Right? Or sit in the seat of mockers. Somebody that's always got something negative to say about some preacher. Somebody that's always got something negative to say about, you know, we had a family leave here years ago just because Austin mentioned the name Joel Osteen. You know, the Osteens are friends of ours. They've been friends of ours for a long time. And listen, I just mentioned Joel Osteen. If you want to leave over that, fine. <laughs> Is he perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Is he as great as his daddy? No. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a great work. He's winning people to Jesus. He, keep your mouth off him. Amen. Don't be a scoffer. Tell your neighbor, don't be a scoffer. Don't be a scoffer. 
And don't be a tribalist. You know, I have, I probably have, I know I have more Southern Baptist ministers, and some of them famous, that pay attention to what I have to say than full gospel people. I know that. I know that. So don't be tribal. Amen. If people are out here and they're doing a good work and they're winning people to Jesus, you know, bless them. Amen. All of these things I'm throwing out here are aspects of being do, a doer of the Word of God. So we're talking about sense knowledge. So faith is independent of sense knowledge. So the Lord may, I may see something in the Word of God to do that doesn't make sense. The easiest example is tithing. We, we, there's a man here tonight, I saw him earlier, and he wrote the greatest testimony you know, he was a drug addict for 31 years, no telling how many women, no telling how many marriages, no telling, no telling, no telling, no telling. Walks into Faith Christian Center. He'd been in churches before, but nobody, nobody had ever had the power to lay hands on him and see him delivered from a 31-year habit of drug use. That's power with God. And then it took him a couple of years later to start tithing. But then he, he says in his testimony how God had blessed him since he started tithing. He said, give up tithing? No way. Amen. See, but that's somebody who hit the wall. See, a lot of times we win these people to the Lord and they've lived a hard life and they're actually better doers of the word of God than goody two-shoes who's been in church their whole life. That's right, amen. Because those people that have hit the wall, they know that they've tried everything out there in the world and they know it's empty and they know there's no power to it. But if you'll be a doer of what God says to do, well, then your life will get, pick up power, pick up steam. I'm going to close here in a second. Austin's sitting on the edge of his chair. I'm aware of that, but I'm going to press on. <laughs> the antagonism of the scholastic world to the revelation called the Bible is that the Bible demands faith. That's the problem. The Bible demands faith in things the senses cannot comprehend. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to wrap it up. The antagonism of the scholastic world to the revelation called the Bible is that the Bible demands faith in things the senses cannot apprehend. But so-called science is doing the exact same thing now. And so men are without excuse. For example, you're called upon to believe in evolution, even though the theory violates the second law of thermodynamics. All processes manifest a tendency toward decay and disintegration with a net increase in what is called the entropy or state of randomness or disorder of the system. This is called the second law of thermodynamics. And you're called upon to believe that a fetus is not a living person, even though the baby's heart starts beating in the womb on day 21 or day 22. I just heard, I think it was two or three weeks ago, a politician said that is a, fabrica that is a political fabrication. No, no, you fool. It's called a stethoscope. <laughs> and you're called upon to believe in vaccines that were never tested on human beings, let alone pregnant women, but tested only on eight mice. You test something on eight mice and you want to stick it in me, I'm going to hit you with a baseball bat. <laughs> right. 
and you're called upon to believe that boys can become girls and that girls can become boys and that boys can menstruate and have babies and that men can lactate. <laughs> this is idiocy. Lunacy. Mental illness. And let me tell you what. It's horrifying to me that a liberal like Elon Musk is the only person talking about the fall off in the birth rate and how you cannot maintain a society if you don't replace your numbers. And all of this is a war on children. You read about it in the book of Genesis. There's enmity between the snake, the serpent, Satan, and the seed of the woman. And every time they do these things to these children, they are destroying the possibility of them having life beyond their own. Think about what I just said. They are destroying any possibility of that youngster having life beyond their own. It's madness. It's all madness. The world has gone insane with sin. And you're called upon to believe in the goodness of man. Even though murders, kidnappings, carjackings, and violent crimes are at all-time highs in these United States. I mean, the state of Illinois passed a law coming up in January. You can carjack, kidnap, second-degree murder, and there's no bail. This is insane. This is insane. This is insane. The district attorney of Dallas, you know, a George Soros guy, as soon as he got in office, said they would no longer prosecute carjackings. This is insane. And listen, this is a violent crime. A carjacking is a violent crime. And, and only, the, where, do, where do carjackings happen? In third world countries. That should tell you everything you need to know. So I say, since it's all gone to heck anyway, this is where I want to get to. Since it's all gone to heck anyway. See, if, in other words, if, if science is gone, California just passed a law that if you disagree with Pfizer, they're going to pull your medical license. So that's good news for us because all the good doctors will probably be moving to Texas. <laughs> My point is, See, their criticism of the Bible used to be it required faith. Well, that, that criticism is no longer valid because to, to listen to MSNBC now requires faith. <laughs> to watch CNN now requires faith. Do you see it? So that argument's invalid. So I say, and this is where I came to, April of 2020, during the Holy Week revival, since it's all gone to heck anyway, and everything is a lie, and the whole world's gone insane, 
and we have perverts in power, why not just throw caution to the wind and go all in with God and believe God and believe the word of God and let the chips fall? Can you see it? Because they are, they're, 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 they, they are insane with their depravity. So I, I don't see any risk. Oh, you know, lady here, way up in her 70s, no offense, was telling me that, you know, the people where she worked, they were saying, you know, you ought to wear a mask. You know, you, you, know, you need to be careful because, you know, you're, you're up there. And I, she, she rehearsed this to me back in 2020 at the height of the hysteria. She, met, she rehearsed this to me out there in the fellowship atrium. I said, yes, sister, you better be careful because I said you could end up on the streets of God. <laughs> so brothers and sisters in the Lord, where is the risk in believing God? Amen.